Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can find the show online at buildingthefutureshow.com or follow me on Twitter at Building Show. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rick West, CEO of Field Agent. Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Thank you very much. I look forward to today. Yeah, I'm excited to have uh, you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Field Agent is actually really interesting. But uh, maybe before we get into exactly what Field Agent does, let's get to know you a little bit better and let's talk about kind of where you grew up. Absolutely. Yeah, when I, when I think back, uh, back in the day, uh, I want your, your listeners to, to think of someone living in rural America. In my case, I grew up in Appalachia. Uh, so you hear the war stories of you know, coal mining and, and coal miners, and, and that's exactly my family heritage. My grandfather's both were in the coal mines. My brother continues to work in the coal mines, and I was one of the lucky kids that uh, made it out and uh, made it to the University of Kentucky. Uh, and then from there, I uh, was also uh, privileged enough to be able to get a chance to interview with Procter & Gamble, and then that kind of began my career uh, in the CPG world. Okay, for, for those who don't know, what does CPG stand for? Sure, uh, Consumer Products. Okay. Uh, so uh, oftentimes we, you know, we talk in an acronym, so that's my mistake, so sorry about that. So, no problem. Uh, when you think of uh, a Procter & Gamble, kind of a Fortune 50, Fortune 100 type of company, uh, it is still hard for me to believe that a, a kid from eastern Kentucky uh, could make it into to P&G and had great assignments there that, w- that would love just to share stories with you about. Sure. So maybe let's talk about kind of what you took at the University of Kentucky before we get into your uh, work at uh, P&G. Sure. Uh, at today's world, it would be called uh, you know, HR, human relations, or uh, let's see, organizational effectiveness. Uh, in my case, it was called personnel and industrial relations. And, uh, and, and what the university was doing at that time from a business standpoint, it was less focused on entrepreneurship and technology it was really focused on managing teams and ideation and really being able to come alongside a group of people and changing processes and, and making breakthrough in that way. Uh, so I spent my four years there really focused on team building. I was in the Greek system from a fraternity standpoint, managing people there. I was in the resident halls at a resident advisor, managing people there. So when P&G saw my resume, uh, they said, yes, you're the exact type of person we're looking for. And within, gosh, again, within six months of working with PNG, I had individuals reporting uh, directly to me, and I was managing a team. So it was very exciting. Wow, that's awesome. So did you have to move to go work for uh, PNG, or were they in Kentucky? I had to move. So I was uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, is, uh, where I was going to school, and then uh, lived in Cincinnati for 10 years working for PNG. Uh, from there, took an assignment for three years in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and from there, took an assignment in Asia. So I worked two years in Hong Kong, China, and then I worked one year in Bangkok, Thailand, before leaving PNG to start my entrepreneurial, uh, the entrepreneurial world. What I was doing in 2001. Sure. So I'm curious then, what kind of stuff did you you have to do kind of overseas? Yes. So uh, think of developing countries, and it's not necessarily third world development countries, but uh, you've got this, this great concept in the, in the Western world uh, called technology. And technology within the consumer product world, well, like scanning barcodes and POS systems, point-of-sale systems, and, and really how to, to understand on how to do 
uh, a win-win scenarios where your customer wins and you win. Uh, when you look at countries like you know, China and Thailand, uh, the Philippines, you know, Malaysia, uh, India, uh, those countries are primarily uh, working with um, brokers and distributors and for the most part saying, here's my product, they would tell you how to go sell it. So when multinationals were coming throughout Asia, P&G worked alongside the likes of uh, a Walmart, uh, a Macro from Europe, uh, a Carrefour out of France. We would work with the multinationals as they would come into Asia, and we would come alongside them and help the locals learn how to do business with a Walmart or a Carrefour or a Macro. Okay. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah, it was just exciting times. And, uh, I mean, it, it's not that often you can say, yeah, I helped Walmart, you know, you know, go into Japan, or I helped Macro as they expanded throughout uh, China. So it's it very exciting times. We describe them as the wild, wild west. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you kind of get passionate about technology? You know, I'm, I'm going to age myself to read your listeners, and I hope they, they don't shut down after <laughs> I make this comment. It's all good. But, uh, you know, so I started out, you know, back in the days when uh, Steve Jobs was trying to convince someone that the Mac would actually work. And if you're a Guy Kawasaki fan, Guy Kawasaki was trying to convince people sure. that the Mac was the right way to go, right? Even though it didn't have a floppy drive and it had no peripherals and it was a piece of crap, it was a really cool piece of crap, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I started out uh, in the luggable days. So it was a uh, compact computer that was the size of a suitcase, and you could put it on a dolly and take it to to, uh, to your apartment and work on it at night. Uh, I started out in Lotus 1-2-3. That was prior to Microsoft Excel. Uh, and at that time frame within the company, we were going from mainframes to uh, personal computers and really trying to understand how to do work. So if you think of my background as a, as a people person, you know, how do you push work from one person to another from a technology standpoint without bringing the organization to their knees. So it really got involved with personal computers at that time and started working through that early on in my career. Uh, from that, uh, we started looking at point-of-sale uh, systems, how we could do vendor-managed inventory. And so a lot of technology was all tied into how we work with customers. So uh, your, 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 your listeners will understand this when you think of uh, in those days, not every grocery store was scanning things uh, for barcodes. Sure. A lot of people were still keying things in. Uh, gas stations uh, were just converting over to all the credit card systems. Uh, and when you went to a fast food retailer, everything was cash. So point of sale systems and technology was the rage. Uh, people take that for granted today. But at that time, it was a really, really exciting time to be in retail. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's actually quite fascinating. So you left um, P&G, and did you start field agent right away, or kind of what did you do prior to field agent? Yeah, Kevin, the, the, the joke around here is that, you know, field agent is a 14-year overnight success story. <laughs> so That's so how it always is, right? It is. So startup people, entrepreneurs, people in the business world, really looking at the, at the future as you look at this. Um, we started out uh, in 2001 uh, really with our arms around the vision of coming alongside um, companies that were wanting to do work with Walmart, Target, Walgreens, you know, Kroger, HEBUD, and trying to help those small companies play at the same level as a Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Kraft, et cetera. Sure. And so we would come alongside them, and we started out with providing research to understand what consumers wanted. 
Once we understood what those consumers wanted, we would put together marketing plans to go deliver that at retail. And that was really the premise of, of what, what we did for probably about six, seven years. Uh, we started doing more and more research. And uh, we were literally sitting around the table, gosh, around uh, 2009 with our, our really cool iPhone 3Ss. Now, Kevin, this is before selfies. Okay, this is pre-selfie day. Right? And uh, the 3S had come out, and it was the rage because you finally had video. You didn't have to, you know, jailbreak your phone to get sure. video. Uh, the technology, the camera would give you like, you know, a two megapixel picture. It was amazing. The technology that was at our hand, and and we were literally sitting around a table with uh, four or five folks, and we were trying to determine how to use technology to get inside of retail stores or inside of people's homes as opposed to using traditional methods, which, which is to fly people all over the United States to have them go to a store with you and to interview you or have them go inside of your home and interview you inside of a home. Sure. This is very time-consuming. It's very costly. And to be quite honest with you, it was, it was a bit awkward to say the least. And so, so Kevin, as we're going through, we're Googling through it, you know, and, and you can imagine, no one was using the phone to pull data. Sure. The yeah, well, it was new, right? It was iPhone. super new. Oh, yeah. Yeah, iPhone, think of it, 18 months in. And during that 18 month period, the, the business model was to get as many downloads as he could to mm-hmm. try to get eyes for impressions and hopefully someone would click on an ad. Sure. That was the business model, right? So we literally flipped it upside down on its head and said, gosh, what, what if we used the iPhones in people's hands and had them actually find data or collect information for us and bring it back to us? And we'll use GPS and the time date stamp to validate where people are and when they're at a certain location. And then we'll validate that from a QC standpoint, and we, we won't have to send people out in the store to capture data. And we said, well, I don't know. Maybe we could do that. And we, we sat in the office a couple months later, had the same conversation, said, you know, we really don't want to be like those guys that said, you know, I created Instagram first and I created Google first and I just didn't do it. Sure. And so we started down the path. And if you fast forward to that, to uh, April 2010, it was uh, April 17th on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night. And we're all looking at each other like, I guess we should push the button. And we released our app to iTunes. And okay. Kevin was in about, oh, three or four minutes, we had 3,000 downloads. Wow, that's awesome. Now, sec- secretly, we're hoping no one sees this thing, right? Because we'll make sure <laughs> everything's perfect and it's going to be okay. And what we didn't realize is that you had this whole cottage industry uh, of apps that would tell you when new apps would come out. Yep, I remember those. Set- remember those? Yeah. And so they were instantly downloaded all these phones. We're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? This is terrible. <laughs> And so for about two days, they were monitoring that. And then we did a, a soft press release uh, on that Tuesday, so three days in. And by the end of the day, we were interviewed on Skype by uh, the Wall Street Journal, CNET. We had uh, interviews or articles in Fast Company, Retailing Today. And, and the, the excitement about what we did was really twofold. Again, your, your listeners have to think back. 2010, iPhone's been out about two years. The George's you know, out there making a splash. Most of the business world are still on Blackberries because they haven't worked through the exchange system yet. So all this is still happening. And um, there are two interesting things that happened. The first one was uh, we actually were the first app in iTunes to pay someone with PayPal. Right. 
at that point in time, the raise was like Foursquare, right? You could become mayor of something or become a sergeant or get a badge, but no one was exchanging cash. Right. And if I remember correctly, wasn't the the iPhone 3G the first one that had the App Store and the original metal iPhone right. didn't really have an App Store? So, yeah, it was two years that the iPhone had been around, but you were literally months into the App Store being a thing. Right. We were right in the middle of that. We were on the very first page of New and Noteworthy. I mean, you can just imagine the, 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 you know, the drama from that and how cool that was. So totally. everyone loved the fact that we're paying cash. Again, you'll never be the mayor of field agent, and I'll never give you a cute badge that says you're now the smiley face guy field agent, right? <laughs> that was really, really interesting. And once people realized they actually got paid, they're like, wow, that's not a gimmick. Mm-hmm. You're really getting paid. The second thing was, remember my right, right earlier uh, scenario, we were pulling information, not pushing information. So we were the first app to actually go out and geolocate you to find out where you are to make sure you're in the right location and to QC your information coming back in. So if you look at those two things, we, we literally started this, this kind of uh, this groundswell around crowdsourcing uh, mobile information. And then from that, it's just been an all-out race, a sprint to the finish line from that point on. Sure. No, I think that's awesome. So does it just work in um, the States or does it work in other countries as well? Yeah, we're in other countries now. So we're in uh, six primary countries. In North America, we have Canada and Mexico. Right. Uh, In Asia, we're in Australia. We're in the process of talking to other couple of countries in in Asia. Uh, We're in the UK. That'll handle the middle part of Europe for us. Uh, We're in Romania. Uh, which is going to help us get into Eastern Europe. And we're also in South Africa, and uh, we're soon to be in Brazil probably in the next four or five months. Oh, that's awesome. So if I want to get involved and become a field agent, what exactly is the process, and how do I go about signing up? Well, the good news is if you're a user, someone that actually wants to make money, uh, you can go to Google Play or the App Store and look for field agent. We're the, uh, the white tie with the orange background. You can't miss us. Okay. Uh, you download, answer a couple of questions, and within uh, minutes, uh, you could pull up one of our tasks or one of our jobs, and we could be paying you in a couple of hours. It's really that simple. If you're a, a person that wants information, so this could be anyone from um, an individual real estate agent that wants to check a piece of property to a restaurant that wants to do mystery shopping or a company that wants us to do product testing or a large entity that wants to make sure it displays up, uh, you can log into fieldagent.net, swipe your credit card and do a do-it-yourself job, or if you've got something complex, uh, you know, send us a a quick note uh, at fieldagent.net and then info at fieldagent.net, and we can very quickly get back to you and help you do a project. And it's a matter of hours you can be up and running. Wow, that's awesome. So what does it cost me as a company to run kind of one of these uh, data collection I guess, campaigns. Yeah, so so let's say you've got a a listener right now and they've got a a rental property that's cross town or they've got a rental property in Florida and they're really trying to figure out whether or not their grass was mowed today. And they're getting phone calls from their tenant saying, man, the the guy didn't show up again today. They called the guy. He said, man, I was already there today. He's lying to you. Uh, They swipe a credit card and for $10, uh, we'll send an agent out to that location We'll take a photo of the location and show you exactly what your grass looks like. 
and within a couple of hours you'll have that information and you can call your tenant back and say, hey, it's fixed, or you can call your provider back and say, gotcha, um, I've got information here that shows you're not doing your job. Let's go find somebody else to do this work. And it's just $10 real quick. Now, if you're that same type of entrepreneur and you've got this unbelievable idea, and so far your mom and your dad and your brother and sister and girlfriend tell you it's the most amazing idea in the world, and you're smart enough to know that you need to talk to someone else, uh, we can send your concept or your idea out to individuals, and for as little as uh, $5 per individual, we can have them give you feedback on your idea. So it's relatively inexpensive, and it's really, really fast. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. And and that's kind of what fascinated me about what you guys were doing and why I kind of wanted to have you on the show is because I love the idea of just being like, I'm curious about this. And I obviously, I'm, I'm not going to book a plane ticket or, you know, take days off to go check something in, you know, maybe another city, but I can pay, you know, a small amount of money to have somebody else kind of do it for me. Right. And, and yeah. know within hours. Right. And chances are, like like you said, like I'm in Canada. So if I had to look at something in Florida, well, I have to buy a ticket. I'd have to, you know, rent, get a place to stay. And I'm not going to be there within a few hours. It's just not going to happen. Right. I'm just geographically right, right. and with flights and whatnot. So I think what you guys are doing is is really cool. So I'm curious then what kind of fascinated me with um, some of the stuff that you guys have done in the past and with all the major holidays coming up. Um, do you want to maybe talk about kind of what you did with the Black uh, Fly Friday scoreboard? Uh, yes. So if your, your listeners are thinking about uh, about how you collect data and, and, and the whole concept of big data, there's uh, there's a lot of companies out there today that are scraping the web and they're going to pull big data. They're going to find out social media posts and what people are saying. They're going to find, you know, what's on certain websites and they're going to pull all this data together. Well, when we looked at it, there are probably, you know, four to six different major events that happens in a retailer's life. And one of the major events is Black Friday. I mean, it's the, it's the surge, right? And, mm -hmm. and most people have the data three to five days after the fact of what's sold, which is fine, right? Classic point of sale data, you can collect that. What they really don't understand is who's winning, right? Who's really out in stores? Where are they? What are the frustrations? And so what we did with the Black Friday scorecard or scoreboard, and this has been a, over a two- or three-year period, uh, we had individuals go out, and we're trying to find out where they went first, where they're going second, did oh, they find the key items they're looking for. And when you look at that, you start to find out kind of who's winning, and you're finding out in real time. Sure. So you imagine at you know, 5 o'clock at night or 5 o'clock in the morning and you see a ticker running and you start to see what retailer has X percent of the first visits versus second visits and you start to see which one of the items were you know, the, the, the most exciting item or which one of the items are already out of stock. Um, now that's, again, great anecdotal data coming in. The other aspect of this is, is that when our clients use this, then they begin to understand the, the question of why. Uh, you know, we can all have data overload and collect tons of data, but Kevin, if we don't understand why, it's just a bunch of data that we look at. And so by sending consumers and shoppers just like me and you and others out in stores, not only do we capture data, but we really begin to understand the why behind of it, and that's very powerful. Sure. Well, the other thing, too, is you could almost watch the data then, and you could maybe make some modifications to your Black Friday sales or whatnot as, like, 
the time zones. Like if you watch, okay, well, let's watch what's happening in the East Coast. And then, uh, you know, you could maybe make some modifications later in the day for, you know, obviously the West Coast, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, you, you are thinking like uh, an owner right now. Now, obviously, as, as you look at that, if you're a small store, you react. Some larger stores, it's a little bit more difficult because mm-hmm. it's just the magnitude, right? But that's the premise. Yeah, that's the premise behind this is really getting data inside of someone's hands in a, a very quick fashion so that they can make real business decisions and make them more efficiently and quicker than they did before. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's actually really fascinating to me. And I, I love I love the kind of like on demand I can make changes right now based on data because data doesn't lie, right? It doesn't really matter what I think or what you think if the data is telling us something completely different. And it's based on especially when you're in retail, if your users are saying something and you and I don't agree with it, it doesn't really matter because if our retail business is doing better because we modified something and customers are um you know enjoying that then let's keep doing it that way right it's almost like the ultimate a b test absolutely and the 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 a b test that you're doing online people understand it and and we're trying to help them understand that i can do the same thing at retail and we can do the same thing with consumers and shoppers if you build the right methodology around it so it's, it's again it's really exciting uh now you know, I can go back and look at two or three years ago and say, gosh, are people making changes? But, but as we talk to our clients, they're beginning to take notice. They are making some changes. And they're trying to figure out really the best way to engage shoppers when it, when it comes to things like Black Friday. So it's been pretty exciting to see. Sure. Well, and then it, it is nice to look back at past years and say, well, what was the same? What was different? And then kind of figure out yeah. why, right? And then you can maybe exactly. predict what next year will be like. Yeah, there's lots of smart people that pull data to, to look at things like that. But if you look at Black Friday, as a good example, uh, we do the same thing around uh, Super Bowl mm-hmm. uh, and other things. We're really trying to uh, you know, understand what people are doing uh, for Super Bowl parties. You know, how are they real, not only what products are they purchasing, Kevin, but how are they using those products? And then as a, from a supplier standpoint or retail, you're looking at it and, gosh, if that's how they mix this and this, maybe next year I'll do a display that shows that. Because that's how people are using my product. So it's just really interesting when you give uh, people the power to provide feedback in a natural environment. It's really exciting to see what they give you. Yeah, no, for sure. I I love that idea. The other thing that I kind of want to touch on quick is um, your other thing about the 10 gifts men really want for for Christmas. I found that article fascinating. Maybe (laughs) do you want to talk about kind of what exactly you guys did with that and then kind of the outcome of that? Because I found it really fascinating. Yeah, so, so whether it's the uh, – you think of the 10 gifts that men really want for Christmas, right? You can do 100 of those surveys, right? You mm-hmm. can pull those surveys up and you can play around with it. Uh, and we really wanted to give our um, you know, readers a chance to, to understand that, A, the power of what we did and the speed of, about, by which we did it, and, and just to provide that information at the moment that people were getting ready to shop. So, again, it's one thing to say in January, here's what people – you know received sure it's another thing to say three months in advance here's what we think people are going to want it's another thing to say hey you know black friday is on you know a week away and we polled a couple hundred people and these are really the top gifts that people want what are you going to do about it right i mean so so the timing and the edge is really what we're pushing kevin and we do that with all of our studies 
we try to be as relevant as we can to that time frame. So when people are, you know, are, are getting the data, they can actually data they're actually making um, decisions based upon it, as opposed to, oh, that was kind of nice. Here's ten gifts that men really want. That was nice. No, it's not nice. <laughs> I mean, make some decisions on this. Re- really make some changes, especially if you're a online provider and you know you're really big in Instagram. I would start talking to my shoppers on Instagram, and I would start showing them these really cool gifts that I have that match up with what men really want. And if you do that in the right kind of timing you can actually change yourself. Sure. Well, Amazon does kind of those studies all the time. They spend tons of amount of money like trying to optimize everything, right? And so, you know, some people don't, obviously most companies don't have Amazon's resources, but with a tool like what you guys are doing, you know, it kind of makes anybody, whether you're a one-man shop or, you know, you have thousands of employees, you you kind of have the same advantage, which I I think is awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. So I'm curious about, is there any other projects that you guys have done um, that, you know, are kind of your favorites? I know you mentioned Super Bowl, but is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to talk about that, that you guys have completed? Yeah, let me, let me take one of the very first projects that, that we did. If, you're, if your uh, listeners uh, are friends of The Bachelor or Bachelorette, and I'm not going to judge someone if they are. are my, not, my wife watches, so I've that. seen a few, sadly. <laughs> uh, when your wife watches this, this past uh, season of The Bachelorette, there, there was an individual, his name is Brady Toops. Okay. And Brady was on The Bachelorette, and he made the decision day one that he didn't want girl A, he wanted girl B, and so he left the first night. And it was romantic, and everyone was excited about it, and he had this huge following. He was like, we're so pro-Brady, he didn't stay there to try to get publicity because Brady was a songwriter. He's a musician. So if you go back five years ago, um, you know, Brady was a, a friend of ours. We knew Brady as he was just getting started in his career. He, he just finished uh, playing minor league baseball and wanted to get into the music industry. He said, you know, Brady, he said, I have all kinds of ears and eyes that look at my EPs, they look at my covers, they listen to my music. Uh, but I really want to get outside of the local area into a couple of really key markets that are, are focused on music to kind of make some uh, – that actually influence the way music is, you know, downloaded and who's really considering it good and not, you know, kind of okay. And um, so we took his music and some downloads. We pushed that out to a few hundred, you know, field agents, and they provided him feedback, not only on the music, what they thought, what genre it was, where would it fit, where would it fit best. Oh, uh, he sent them his EP covers, what's name on my covers, here's the name of the album. And he said, gosh, he said, within – you know, 24 hours, I had a couple hundred people providing me information, and I had a tremendous number of iTunes reviews that I would have never had before that people just did once they actually listened to my music. Huh. And so think about a, a singer-songwriter sitting in, you know, their basement, you know, their, their apartment, and they're, they're really looking for good feedback. We can do that for them. And it was relatively inexpensive for him and it really helped to make some decisions around the songs, song titles, et cetera. So that was early on. So that was really, really kind of cool. And again, if you look at Brady today, he's a successful guy, really you know, out there doing his thing. But but we were early on in his career, helped him make some decisions. So that's, that's one that when you think of your users out there today, they're like, wow, I don't have to be a large company. Anyone could do this. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm curious then, do you have any other projects that you've done that you want to talk about quickly? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, think of the, the, the messy, we always do messy projects. So uh, if there's uh, any of the, the folks out there that have, you know, babies, I mean, you think about how you, you handle diapers. I mean, how do you actually do product reviews on diapers and how do you actually do research with it? Well, you have to keep dirty diapers and you have to send them in. Well, with our technology, we could actually take photos and keep from sending in dirty diapers everywhere. So you, you take that simple concept of, of doing a content test like that, it's really, really fun. Well, you fast forward, and then you start asking the exact same question around, gosh, what do you think about this car? Would you go to a car dealership? Would you go drive the car and review it? Now, what do you think about this specific product? So what we're starting to see now from a product and, uh, product development standpoint, uh, people are using our app, and they're, they're trying to understand how people are actually using products at that point of influence when they're actually using the product. So, again, that's been really, really fun for us to, to go see. And what's more important in this, Kevin, as, as I go back to it, uh, you're not capturing data asking people what they thought looking in the past. You're, at, you're capturing data while people are actually using the product or while they're engaged. So the type of information that you receive uh, is just unbelievable. It's, it's the amount of uh, uh, the, the, the raw edge and the amount of data that you receive is unlike anything you would get with traditional methods based on recall. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's fascinating to me. And I, I think that's super useful. And the the diaper thing's actually quite funny to me because my wife and I, we, we have a just she's just over one now. But I can imagine like if we if we were using that at the time testing diapers in the middle of the night when we're like half asleep, <laughs> you'd probably get some interesting results. You know, you, you think about that or or the, the old brick and mortar method would be put those diapers in a bag and save them for me and then drive them across town and drop them into a, a box, put some dry ice on it and mail the box to me. I'll open up the diapers and look at them. Yeah, fair. That's it, 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 it's just it's just crazy, right? When you think about People have to do reviews of product. Totally. And the only way to do that is either physically be with you, and I'm not going to fly people all over the United States and Canada to go see that, or you can send me something which is really expensive. But with technology, I can now take photos of things, and with the, the type of camera that's in smart devices today and the fact that I can capture that information, it's really, really robust. Well, yeah, and like video even too, right? I could film the whole process. Absolutely. Whole process from beginning to end. Yeah. So maybe let's give it some advice about um, how to be successful at mobile research. Yeah, let's let's think specifically about mobile research before we get to the entrepreneurial world. And if I if I look at that and, and really say, gosh, you know, how do I want to go about this? You have to ask yourself the core question before you get started. What am I trying to solve? And where mobile research really helps people. Um, uh, capture data in a way that they can't, could not have done in the past is anything that's tied to a location. Okay. You know, I have to go to the, you know, Kansas City Royals are playing in the World Series. Therefore, I want to understand what people think about uh, a certain product that's for sale or, or, or what they think about the, uh, the restrooms in the facility. Mobile research is perfect for that. I'll give an example. Uh, you know, Procter & Gamble was trying to understand what was going on in the Olympics when they were in London. You could send hundreds of people to London to go find out. You could contract people, or why don't you use field agent in London and have people taking pictures and video of point of purchase material and signage and what's happening in the Olympic Village, and then you get a live feed real time. Sure. No, that's awesome. That's a a perfect example of 
mobile research is there. So if you want to be successful at it, it, it's not replacing what you're doing. It's either supplementing what you're doing or do a completely new study related to location. So that's really, really important to, to, to think through. And because of the speed and the cost associated with it, the barrier to entry is really, really low for all your listeners. No, sure. I, I, I think that's awesome. So is there anything that I guess, wouldn't be suitable for kind of mobile crowd research? Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk to the, um, the, uh, the U.S. listeners that are listening to you right now. We have this, uh, this thing coming up here in, in uh, the United States called an election, and this whole <laughs> presidential election that's coming up in about, what, 14 months? Yep. Um, and if your listeners are researchers, uh, one of the first things they would say, well, Kevin, you know, I appreciate what Rick is saying, but you know, something like anywhere from 70 to 80% of the population have smartphones. The other 20 to 30% do not have smartphones. Therefore, Rick cannot help us do a survey with a representative sample of the United States. So Rick could not predict an election, okay. which makes complete sense, right? Because right. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't have, um, you know, the, the little old lady or little guy that has a flip phone. They're not, I'm not going to get access to them, right? I just want to have certain demographics that are interested in using a phone. They're going to use it in a different way. I mean, so there's certain demographics that I don't have. So one of the very first limitations is until we have complete adoption by everyone on smart devices, I'm always going to have a limited, even though it's really, really good, a limited panel, and that's okay. Right. Well, but that number's got to be dropping, like – crazy Absolutely. right Absolutely. like it's got to be monthly yep. I'm, I'm guessing within the next three to five years basically you won't really have a choice you'll either you, your phone will just have died or you will have lost it or broken it or or something like that that you know it, we're only a few years out it's right what yeah, am we, i we did we just well we described it as cable companies that said we're going to charge you more for hd and now they're saying well we're just kidding everything is hd Right. It's just a matter of time, right? So that's going to happen. You're going to find the exact thing happening today with related relates to phones. Uh, the Hispanic demographic, as an example, I think it's somewhere upward to eighty uh, percent plus of smartphone acceptance, and the number of the folks in the Hispanic community that actually have uh, landlines or home computers are virtually nil. I mean, it goes down lower and lower. So you're right. In the next three to five years, this is a moot point. But as you look at the current state where we are today, that's one. Right. But the second thing is uh, we talked about big data and how you're scraping the web and cookies and how this stuff plays out. Uh, there's always going to be a place for, or strength until the screens get merged that you're still going to have to really be able to pull data that's based on my TV type of screen, my computer type of screen, and my, my phone. And so because of that, you're always going to have to blend those things together. And then finally, if I look at like an, uh, a, a huge in-depth survey that someone wanted to ask 40, 50 questions, uh, you're probably going to need someone to go to a computer and answer those. Uh, I suggest not doing it because it's a bad survey, but there's still some people that want to do these really long, exhaustive surveys, uh, and it's going to make sense to do that on a computer. But those, those are really the only limitations. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's actually – it's just where things are at, right? And there's something that yeah, you can't exactly. control. And I, I think over time, it'll it'll change. So I know we talked a little bit kind of about where, where things are today. But where do you think the future of crowdsourcing will go? 
Yeah, so, so I want your your uh, listeners to, to think of this, and if they haven't heard of it before, they need to Google it, but it's the concept of the Internet of Things. Right. So it's everything from you know wearables, my car being connected, my washing machine, my house, my life, my thermostat, everything's all connected. But what you'll find in almost every occurrence of that connectivity today, whether it's Google Glasses, again, mm-hmm. um, my car, whatever the case may be, most of those connections are connecting through a handheld mobile device as the computer. For sure. Okay. So as you think about the Internet of Things, so if I look at mobile research today, I don't think we're that far out from someone saying, you know, hey, I'm in my car, and I've gone past this restaurant, and then uh, when I stop at the second restaurant, I get a survey saying, hey, you normally stop at Subway, and I noticed you went to Chick-fil-A today. Could you tell me why? Sure. And all that's going to be based on technology associated with it, or your You've got a washing machine that's connected, and, hey, I noticed that you've put in gain, but you normally purchase Tide. Will you tell me why you put in gain? I mean, those types of connectivity pieces are, are just a few years out. So as you think about the mobile research aspect of it, it's really going to become more of the Internet of Things type of research, but it's still going to be driven by that handheld mobile device. And so that's what we're studying today. It's, it's understanding that, you know, Google Glass, you know, made a good – and they were trying to make things happen. You've got Apple Watch saying, hey, look at me. You've got cars saying, look, I'm going to be you know, completely dependent upon a phone. Uh, and that's really where the future is going to take us, the Internet of Things. Sure. What about, um, do you guys do anything with like geofencing or, or any of that kind of stuff? I, I, I get we, it's probably... We, we do. Okay. Yeah, we do. I mean, geofencing is, is you know classic type of work for us today. Uh, for folks that want to get a little bit more uh, a tighter circle around a location, again, geofencing would put maybe a you know a 30 to 100 foot circle around a location. Uh, we also use eye beacons, and eye beacons can give you a you know a tight circle of a couple of three feet. Right. Uh, and that's used for a couple of things. One, from a passive standpoint, when you're near that location, it opens up your your app where if it's if it's been allowed to do so, and it's going to prompt you for things. Um, but it's also going to allow us to ensure that when you get to a certain location, uh, we can also validate things. So relatively straightforward for us today. Uh, iBeacons obviously requires kind of a CapEx or capital expenditure to, to make sure that those, those were up and running. But again, relatively straightforward. For people that don't know what iBeacons are, they're basically little Bluetooth devices that you basically put in a retail store or somewhere and it... Basically, if a phone or somebody's phone walks by, it'll send them or do something or, you know, pop them up a notification if they allow it or trigger something on your end. Correct? Like, that's how I understand it. Right. It, and the, the easiest way to explain that the concept of someone is that uh, if your listeners have a car that has a Bluetooth connect, connection with their phone. Ah, that's a good one. What yeah. they'll notice is, is that when you turn the car on for a couple of seconds, your phone's connected. If you walk away from the car... Eventually, it's disconnected. But if you walk back toward the car, it connects again. Right, that's right. the Bluetooth connectivity. Right. I, I think the 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 most interesting example, and this was a few years ago now, and I think it was like in Brazil or something. This shoe store in a shopping mall put a geofence around all the competitor shoe stores in the mall, or or one of them, or something. Yeah. yeah. And then basically. If you if there if you walked into that shoe store, it would pop you up a notification and said, "If you get to my store within, I don't know, like two minutes or or whatever it was, you basically yeah, had to run yeah. there. You'd get the max discount, which might be like eighty percent, but and like the 
closer it got to like being the countdown of like zero or if you went over that two minutes you you didn't get a discount or the discount dropped so if you were there and yeah. you know like 30 seconds left you might only get you know 30 percent off or something I, I can't remember exactly but i found that kind of fascinating and, and that's the simplicity of the technology used in a very very creative way right sadly we're out of time and i i oh, wish wow. we could go a little bit more into some things but this has been awesome, and I think maybe in closing the show, let's talk about any kind of advice you have for for people, you know, entrepreneurs, what to do or not to do. Right. You know, I have, I have three things that I always tell folks that I'm listening to, Kevin. I'll, I'll rattle through them very, very quickly. Uh, the first one is whether you're uh, trying to convince a partner to come on with you, mm-hmm. uh, an employee, or you're looking for investment dollars. Your product or service or idea has to be bigger than yourself. You've got to have a big vision. It's got to be out there, and that's going to motivate people to work with you, for you, or to give you money. That's number one. Interesting. The second one is, as entrepreneurs, you don't have time to live in the gray. It is black or it's white. Make the decision or don't make the decision. It's ethical or it's not ethical. Stay out of the gray. The gray will get you in trouble. It will burn precious hours. You simply do not have that time as an entrepreneur. You've got to move forward. And finally, the best advice that was ever given to me, Kevin, was a guy by the name of Steve Graves. It's Dr. Stephen Graves. Does a, does a lot of executive coaching, and he came alongside us, and we were talking about starting. He said, guys, this is my parting advice, and Kevin, this is my parting advice to the, to the, the folks that are there. Sure. You're only as good as you invoice and collect. Oh, interesting. I've never heard okay. that. That's now, actually you, really good really good. So if you hear Mark Cuban uh, on Shark Tank talk about people being a entrepreneur, you're not yep. an entrepreneur because you never make any money. Mm-hmm. It's so true. So uh, you're only as good as finding someone that's willing to pay you a price that you can make money and make a good margin and they agree to it and when you send them an invoice, they actually pay for it. If you can't invoice and collect, then you just have a very expensive hobby. It'll be fun, but you're never ever going to make a business out of it. No, yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. I've never heard that put like that and that simple. And I think that's fascinating to me because that that's partly what I'm trying to do with the show is I'm, I'm trying to have people like yourself that have kind of a real business. And I don't mean to slag on the people that you know aren't making any money at what they're doing because in a lot of cases, you know, it, that's coming right. But I, I really right. like what you guys are doing because you're solving a real problem for real people. And it just happens to benefit that I can make money using your platform as a user. Right. So that to me is the whole thing is, is really kind of fascinating to me. And, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show, because like I said, I'm trying to have people that I'm kind of fans of what they're doing. Well, I appreciate that. Again, it's, it's been a great time today, so I appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward to getting feedback from your users. Yeah, your, your listeners. Sure. So, kind of maybe let's once again go through where people can find uh, Field Agent online and your social, um, your social networks, and even if you want to promote anything, your personal Twitter, or LinkedIn, or, or whatnot. Absolutely. Uh, the easiest way for folks to follow us on, uh, on social media or now for uh, uh, Twitter would be Field Agent Inc. Uh, all one word. Uh, Twitter for me, it's Rick West 01. So it's Rick West 01. You can find me on, on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. They're going to do that. Uh, the other aspect of it, I'll leave this for your, uh, for your listeners. Uh, we want to help people get started, especially entrepreneurs. 
Uh, and if they'll send me, I'm going to give them my email. And this is always dangerous to put your email out there, but you know, I'm just a nice guy, Kevin. So here's my email. <laughs> awesome. Uh, if they if they send a uh, uh, an email to Rick West at fieldagent.net, and that's Rick West at fieldagent.net, and they reference building the future in this interview, uh, I'll provide them an account with a $250 credit to help them get started. And I'll help them do a product review or some sort of engagement with their consumer or shopper to help them get to the next level so that they can actually start invoicing and collecting. Awesome, Rick. That That's much appreciated. I didn't know you were going to do that. And that's that's awesome. So yeah, guys, I, w- I will post those links in uh, on the show notes and whatnot. And if Rick will let me, I'll post his email too. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule to uh, do this interview with me, and uh, we'll be in touch shortly, and uh, this has been awesome, and thanks again. Uh, Hey, I appreciate the time today, and I look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can visit past shows at buildingthefutureshow.com. If you're going to the Startup Expo on February 16th and 17th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and want to record an episode, please contact me. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Check them out at electricmantra.com. Until next time, keep building the future.